Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Swanner was starting a new series uh, where we're going to be looking a little bit at the importance of our small groups. But before we do this, should we pray together as we start this series? Lord, thank you for the people in this room. Thank you for the community that is built here at Riverside. Thank you for your family, God. And Lord, I just pray that as we look together at these groups that we do, where we build community, Lord, I pray that you'll really speak to each one of us. Lord, that we will not be listening, thinking, I know all this. This is already, I'm already part of a group. I don't need to hear this. But God, that you'll speak to each of us individually. As we go through this series, Lord, will you speak to us? Will you challenge us? And Lord, will we... Uh, change the way we do community as a response to it, alter things so that we will love you better and love people better. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, this morning we're starting this new five-week series looking at the importance of our smaller-sized communities that we call our small groups. And we hope over these five weeks to set a new vision for community to help our groups, these smaller sized groups, to become a priority in our lives and to reevaluate the purpose and the practicalities of them. I don't know if you remember a couple of months ago, we had a Vision Sunday service. And during this Vision Sunday, Simon and Keeley came up and shared how they believed that God is calling us in this coming year into a time where we focus on growth and maturity. And I really believe, I really believe that the best tool that we have for growth and maturity is each other. The best tool that we have in growing together in our faith, in our maturity, are each other. The smaller sized communities with discipleship at the centre are pivotal to our spiritual health, to our growth and to our maturity. And I'm going to come on a little bit later onto why I really believe that this is our best Uh, hope for maturity and growth. For those of you who don't know, at Riverside, we encourage everyone to be part of a small group, a group of between 10 to 15 people that becomes a smaller, tight-knit community within the extended family of Riverside. And these smaller-sized groups are really important in a church like Riverside, Because in a church like Riverside, it's impossible for us to know everything about everyone. It's impossible for us to know on a deep level every single person who comes to Riverside, to know everyone personally. 
Because in reality, there are too many of us for us to know every single person well. But these smaller size groups allow us to know these 10 to 15 people on a deeper level. They give us connection with one another. They give us people to pray with and pray for. They give us people to be vulnerable with and to just generally share life alongside. And they ensure that no one, especially those who come to join our church, those that are new to Riverside, they ensure that no one gets lost amongst the number of people here. But instead that we each have people that know us, that know our story. And because of that, they're able to challenge us and to help us grow. So within this series, we kind of want to do two things. We want to encourage more people to join these smaller sized communities and to make it a priority in their life. But we also want to encourage those who go to these groups to try to get the most out of these groups, to give more of ourselves to these groups. A bit of stats. Currently, 60% of the Riverside family, of the regular Riverside Sunday morning family, 60% of the adults attend a small group. 60% are part of a small group. That's a pretty good number. But obviously that means that 40% of us are missing out for whatever reason. That is, maybe it's you don't have time for them or you don't really want to go or you don't really know anything about them, haven't felt like you've had an opportunity yet to join a group. And we hope that at the end of this series, by the end of this series, the number of people in these groups will be higher as you hear a little bit more about the heart behind them. But also, as we emphasise and relaunch them, we hope that we can get a new passion for these groups, that, we'll, that these groups will go higher up in our list of priorities, that we'll really invest in them and give ourselves to them. We hope that those who are already in a small group will be challenged to make the most of them, to give ourselves and to be an active and proactive member of our groups. So we currently have 14 small groups. Each one looks slightly different from the next. And in the past, we've talked about small groups as a fortnightly pattern that meet to do as a group to do a Bible study or to go through sermon questions together. They meet fortnightly to discuss and to study together. And these things have often built our structure of these groups, our structure based around this fortnightly meeting. But our vision for these groups is that they will be so much more than this, that there'll be so much more than a fortnightly event that there'll be so much more than a fortnightly Bible study or study of the sermon questions. We want these groups, we believe that these groups will be best when they are a safe haven, a place of 
real community that gives family and gives support to everyone that's part of this wider Riverside family. Our vision is that these groups will be a place where we genuinely do life together. We don't just talk about it, but we genuinely do it. We do life together. We have fun together. We pray for one another. We support each other and we check up on each other. Because we believe that followers of Jesus can be so much more effective in loving God and in loving others when we are doing life alongside others. When we are learning from others and being challenged by others. When we are in community with other people with the same goal, to love God and to love people. So to try to echo this vision, we've decided to relaunch these groups, to relaunch and to re-emphasize these groups. And as part of that, we've renamed them. So in the past, uh, we've called these groups small groups. Um, But I've also heard them called home groups. They've been called small groups. I think they've been called different names. I think Small groups don't, doesn't really tell us anything about what the group is. And a home group is just inaccurate because many of our groups don't meet in homes. So we decided that we're going to call these groups life groups. So we're calling these life groups in reflection of our vision. So I don't want to hear home groups. I don't want to hear small groups. But instead, we're going to call these groups life groups. Because the emphasis of these groups is this. We are doing life together. We are journeying alongside one another. Life groups creates a space for people to intentionally share their lives with those around them, to grow spiritually together and to encourage each other through the highs and the lows of life. So when we talk about these groups, we talk about life groups, a place where we do life with those around us. We remember that it's so much more than a fortnightly meeting or a fortnightly Bible study or event, but instead... It's a group that journey through faith and life together. I think the big thing that really wants to be emphasised in this is that being in a life group is not attending an event that happens every two weeks. But instead, it's a way of living with others. Choosing to live our faith within community. So it's a place of practical support as well as a place of spiritual support. If someone asks, if someone says that they're stressed about moving house, we don't just pray and keep our distance, but we ask, how can we help? How can we help you in doing this? 
It's a place where we get to know what's happening in other people's lives, where we're invested in each other. It's the first port of call for prayer, for support and for advice in our faith. So over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the five key characteristics of a life group. And why are these life groups important? Why are these characteristics of a life group important? And how can we as individuals and as many different groups, how can we cultivate these characteristics? So the five characteristics of a life group are these. Community, growth, encouragement, vulnerability, and worship. For us, these five characteristics show what these life groups really can be. And what we're aiming for is to really focus on those things within our groups. And this morning, we're going to be touching, we're going to be looking together on the role of community. What does it look like to be a live group that's a genuine community? And what's the role of community in the Bible? Why is community important? And how can we help foster community in our lives and in those around us? What does it look like for us to have real, genuine community in our life groups? So I just want to start by looking at the role of community in the early church. What did community look like in the early church? What role did community play in the uh, church's beginning? I think it's fair to say that Christianity in the church, firstly, was birthed by many small, tight-knit, communities. When you read through the New Testament and they talk about a church, often we picture something a bit like this. But the reality is it was a group of a few families meeting in a house. House churches were the norm of the early church. A meeting of a number of people like this was very unheard of, really, in that time. House churches was where the church was formed from. And we see that Jesus started by choosing to have 12 disciples. He invited 12 people to join him in his ministry. And you might be thinking, yeah, but that was quite normal for rabbis in that day. The Jewish rabbis would often have disciples that would follow the rabbi around, learn from the rabbi and do ministry alongside them. But Jesus approached community with his disciples in a very different way from the Jewish teachers. Normally, a Jewish rabbi was very much, being a um, disciple to a Jewish rabbi was very much a means to an end. The aim was that they would become a teacher of similar standing. It would be the best, uh, the best pupils, if you like, would join the best rabbis, would become disciples of the best rabbis. 
And the aim would be that they would grow to be a rabbi just like the one that they were following. But Jesus' discipleship was not about finding the best of the best. He didn't find the best people he could around him, in fact, far from. And he wasn't trying to bring them up to be a rabbi or a teacher. He had ordinary people, you could even say a bit of an odd bunch, come to join him in his ministry. He didn't teach them how to be a teacher, but he taught them how to love God and love people. He came alongside them. He befriended them. And he was even vulnerable with them, which is almost unheard of in this time. For a Jewish rabbi to be vulnerable with their disciples would be to show weakness, to show a lack of authority. But Jesus in his community chose to be vulnerable and to do so, he made friendship the centre of that ministry. He built a friendship where they got to know each other. They did life together. And from there, he built his ministry. And the thing is, Jesus didn't need to do this. Jesus didn't need all these people around him, but he chose to do this. He chose to build a community. He chose to allow other people to come and befriend him, do life with him. He set up his own little community. And often because church services are kind of at the centre of what people think of when they think of Christianity today, we can picture the early church in a similar way. Weekly meetings with a talk and some worship. But if you read through Acts, the book of Acts, which tells the story of the early church, this idea would be very foreign to the early church. It's not how the Bible portrays church at all. Throughout the New Testament, we read of these smaller communities that met in houses, these communities that were committed to doing life together. If you said to someone around the time of the early church, what does it look like to be church? Their answers would not be about sermons and singing. Their answers would be about community and life, living out together our faith. Not talking about our faith, but living out together our faith. And right at the start of the book of Acts, which introduces this very beginning of the early church, there's a brilliant passage that I absolutely love, and it talks about the shaping of church. What form did the uh, early church take? Small-sized communities or life groups. Groups of people doing life and faith together. So we're going to be reading this passage this morning and just having a little look at what Acts says about church at this point. So if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you open to Acts chapter 2, And we're right at the end of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It's also going to be on the screen behind me. I'm actually going to read the message version. Um, But if you've got another version, then it will be great to follow 
in another version in your Bibles or on your phones anyway. The message version says this. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal and the prayers. Everyone around was in awe, all those wonders and signs done by the apostles. And all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Each day their number grew as God added those who were saved. I love how simply the message version puts a lot of that. It speaks of, this passage speaks of a very intentional community being built. It couldn't really get more intentional than some of the things said in this passage. A community that is full of celebration, joy, praise and exuberance, founded in the apostles' teaching, life together, meals and prayer. And there are so many things here that I really believe give us a great example of what our Christian communities, of what our life groups, of what our church communities should look like. And I just want to pick out a few of those things in this passage that really excite me as I read this and I think of what a life group should, could and will look like. So firstly, the passage says this. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, life together, meals and prayers. For me, this in itself is a great statement for what a life group should look like. In our life group, we commit to the teachings of the Bible, commit to life alongside one another, commit to eating and sharing with one another, and commit to praying with and for one another. I'm passionate that these groups are not focused purely on what we perceive to be spiritual things. That we don't reduce our life groups down to simply being a Bible study. That we talk about a passage and then we leave. And then two weeks later, we open another passage and talk about that and then leave. In the description of early church communities, it says, yes, they were committed to the apostles' teaching. Yes, they were committed to prayer, but they were also committed to doing life together and eating together. It was natural for the early church that faith and life came hand in hand, that what we talk about and what we do were two of the same things. 
that we couldn't just talk about these things and then get on with life separately and separate these two things. This is what I do at church and in small group, and this is what I do for the rest of the time. It was natural that these two things came hand in hand. And to build, it was equally as important for them to build community and to get to know others on a deep level than it was for them to study and to pray. I don't know if you remember those of you that were still that were here a few years ago. When we were coming out of lockdown one a couple of years ago, I spoke about the importance of eating meals together. That for Jesus, the dining table took center stage in community. And I challenged everyone at this point to try to get a meal in place for every week that month with someone. Not sure how many people managed to do that, but this is because Jesus was so focused on the dining table because when we sit down and share food with one another, it forces us to slow down. It reorientates us to be people-focused rather than task-focused. It's so easy for us to, even in a small group setting, to be task-focused. Oh, we need to get through all these questions this evening. Oh, we're we're meeting in two weeks' time. I just need to make sure that I know what we're doing then. We can have such a structure that's unbreakable that we kind of forget that the focus of it is people. The focus of these groups are living alongside, doing life alongside, sharing faith, sharing life, praying for one another, knowing what's happening in each other's lives. And we can get so focused on doing the plan, so focused on this particular study or these questions that we forget the point of these groups. My suggestion, if you're struggling to create community, whether you're in a life group or not, have dinner with people. Have a drink with people. And this is because when we sit down and share food with one another, we slow down and we can become more people-focused rather than the thing that is so easy, to be task-focused. Trust and relationship is what builds, which is what gives a foundation for community. And trust and relationship gives a foundation for our life groups. Another interesting statement in this passage is this. And all the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. What an amazing picture of Christian community that is. What's clear to me as I read this is that here there is a common goal. That all these people had a goal that united them. A goal that united the early church and drove them in their lives. And their goal was loving God, loving people and sharing the gospel. 
loving God, loving people and sharing the gospel. They saw their lives as a reflection of the great commission to go out and to make disciples of all nations. And because this was their goal, because their goal was this, their goal was to love people, to love God and to spread the gospel. Because this was their goal, not to be successful, not to be rich, not to build a perfect family or have lots of friends. Because this was their focus, they had more in common with each other than they had with anyone else. I found it funny when I first read this, when it said that they lived in wonderful harmony and had everything in common. What does it mean by that? What do they mean by that? Because we know that that's not always the case, because people differ in opinions, in personalities, in the way that we do things, in the way we like things, in our preferences. What does it mean to be in wonderful harmony and have everything in common? I don't think that what it's saying is that their personalities fit perfectly with one another. I don't think what it's saying is that they had everything in common in their in what they believe their strategy should be in growing the early church. I don't believe that it, said, it means that they have everything in common in who they got on with and how they did relationships. But they had something in common. Their goal in life to love God and to love people they had in common with one another. As I stand here right now, I would, genuinely, I, w- I would genuinely argue that I have more in common with someone three times my age who doesn't like sport and, and is an introvert, but loves God, than I do with a 25-year-old Bournemouth-supporting football fan that doesn't have a relationship with God. But hear me right here. I would... Don't be offended by this. I would rather spend the time with the 25-year-old football-supporting Bournemouth fan. I would love hanging out with them. I would have a great time with them. Yes, I have more in common with them. I could build a great friendship with them. I love hanging out with them, going to the football with them and enjoying their company. But the biggest thing that shapes me, the biggest thing that drives me day by day, the thing that I live for is my relationship with God, to love God and to love people. I'm driven by the Great Commission. I'm driven by the kingdom. So when it says in this passage that they had everything in common, I don't believe it's talking about personalities. I don't think it's saying that everyone got on as mates. But instead, it's talking about a common goal. They were in community, pushing each other towards the common goal to love God and to love people and to spread the good news. And they were so determined in this goal that they even sold what they had to support one another, that they would each have everything they needed to live a life of service to God. To do this, they needed to know each other's circumstances. 
They had to be involved in each other's lives. And they had to care enough, care enough to give their own resources to help other people. I love the practicality of this, the selflessness within it. I think often life groups or small groups or home groups or whatever they're called around the world, often they can work a little bit like this. You're really struggling financially at the moment. I'm so sorry. Why don't we pray for you? You're stressed about moving house next week. I'm so sorry. Why don't we pray for you? You're struggling with your mental health. I'm so sorry. Why don't we pray for you? And don't get me wrong, it is great, it is vital that we pray for people. It is vital that our response is prayer. It's so important also that we create spaces where people can share these things, where people can share about their financial difficulties or their stress about moving house or their mental health. But can I kindly suggest praying for someone when they share something, isn't a ticking a box exercise. Yes, pray for people, but let's not leave it there. Don't allow prayer in our life groups to become an easy out, to make us feel like we've done our bit, to pass on responsibility, an easy way to make ourselves feel good. How much more effective as a community, as life groups, would it be if our responses sounded slightly more like this? You're really struggling financially at the moment. I'm so sorry. We'd love to pray for you. But before that, can I just ask, is there any way that we can help? Can we cook some meals for you guys? Is there any way we can support you? Can we help you find some solutions? You're stressed about moving house Next week, how can we as a life group support you in your move? Do you need any hands? You're really struggling with your mental health. I'd love to pray for you, but please know that anytime you need me, I am willing to sit, chat or sit and listen. I'm willing to just sit and watch TV with you if that's what you need. I'm here to support you in any way that you need me to. Being in a life group, is so much more than just studying the Bible and praying. This is a vital part of it. Praying and studying the Bible is a vital part of it. Remember, when it start, this passage starts, it says that they are committed to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. This is a vital part of our life groups. But it's also about supporting each other through life practically. Understanding that in some cases, our support may be the answer to the prayer that we're praying. Sometimes when we pray in these groups, we may be the answer to that prayer. The help that we can give may be the answer to the prayer that we're praying. And this is the vision set by the early church. And it's a vision for our life groups. May there be a place where we give practical support as we do life together, as well as spiritual support as we go through that. And the final life group mandate that I love in this passage is this. 
They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. Now, I don't want to go back into talking about meals and the dining table again, but this does reiterate what was being said earlier, just saying. Every meal, a celebration, it says, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. Life groups should be enjoyable. I know not everyone's personality is the same. You might be thinking it's easy for an extrovert to stand at the front and say, like your small life group. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I knew that was going to happen at some point. You might be thinking it's easy for an extrovert to stand at the front and say, like your life group, enjoy going to life group. But actually, for me, you might be thinking, I prefer my own space. And I do understand that we're all different and that we each have a different uh, capacity for socialising. But we do all have something in common. We all need community. We were created for community. Created by a communal God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in his image. Created in the image of a communal God. And if you read the start of Genesis, one thing you will definitely get from right at the start of Genesis, you see that we are meant, we are built to live alongside other people, to be in community with people. We are not built to live life on our own. The Bible says that we need each other. Life groups give us an opportunity for us to do faith in community, to not be alone with our questions, to be supported and to support, to pray and to be prayed for, to have fun and celebrate with others and to have people look out for us and to mourn alongside us. At the centre of life groups, at the centre of our vision for these life groups is community. On our website, we have this description of our life groups. Life groups create a space for people to intentionally share their lives with others, grow spiritually together and encourage each other through the highs and lows of life. Life groups create a space for people to intentionally share their lives with others, grow spiritually together and encourage each other through the highs and lows of life. The thing about community is this. It demands us to be intentional. It requires each person to choose to let people into our lives. And as we begin looking at life groups over these few weeks and envisioning what these groups could look like, there's a challenge for each one of us. If you're someone who's already part of a life group, I think the challenge is this. What would it look like to give yourself fully to this group? 
How can we be selfless in the way we show support to others? Or maybe you're someone that kind of dabbles in these groups. You're, you're technically part of a group, but you don't really go. Maybe you're someone who turns up fortnightly for an event at someone's house, but that's the end of your life group experience. If that sounds like you, let me encourage you to challenge yourself. What would it look like for me to do life alongside these people? What would it look like for me to share life with these people? Or maybe you're in the 40% of people who, for whatever reason, are not part of a life group. Let me encourage you, if you haven't already felt a nudge to join one, to pray about it. To consider being intentional in doing life alongside others. And if after today or at any point over these five weeks, or any point really, it doesn't stop at that five weeks, but if you'd like to join a life group, then Debbie will be in the welcome area after the service today, but also over these next five weeks. Not, not all the time, on a Sunday. She's not staying there. Please do go and speak to her, and she'll, uh, give us, she'll ask for some details to help us to find you a life group that we think will suit you and work with you in doing that. We also have forms on our website to fill out under the life group banner where you can sign up for life groups. And again, it asks for a bit of information so we can work with you to help find you the right one. So as we come to come into land this morning, looking at community in life groups, I'm going to ask if Tina and Darlene can come up and going to sing one song together. But as we're singing this song, you might want to reflect on these things. How can I give more of myself to community? What would it look like to do life with others? And where is my place in that? What is my role as someone in a life group? So why don't we stand? We're going to sing together and then we'll close. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WhitRiverside.